0: So today we're going to be looking at Perseverance of the Saints, and, uh, but before we do that, I thought we'd start off by just reviewing how it is that God applies to us our redemption, which is purchased by Christ. So let's uh, start with, uh, with the first step was effectual calling, Can does anyone remember what effectual calling is?
1: It is uh, God the Father um, calling us into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ.
0: Basically, quoting 1 Corinthians one nine there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, uh, yeah, it's God the Father calling those who be foreknown and predestined. <laughs> and uh, Romans at 8.29 says, those who be predestined also called, and those who be called also justified. And then it continues from there. Um, and yeah, Chris just mentioning 1 Corinthians 9, we were called into the fellowship of the Son, Jesus Christ. Uh, Romans four seventeen. We also learn that uh, God calls into existence the things that do not exist, and that leads us right into the next step. Right, God calls, and regeneration happens. Can does anyone remember what regeneration is?
2: Being born again, being given new life in Christ,
0: yeah, two, two very biblical terms there. Um, in John 3, uh, John, uh, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God, right? And then he talks about how the spirit does this, um, it blows where it wishes, um, and you don't see it, but so it is with those who are born of the spirit, but yeah, Ephesians 2. God being rich in mercy, because the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Um, And then another biblical term we get from Ezekiel 36, 26. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Um, Yeah, we're given a new heart, we're given new life. We were dead in our sin, now we're alive. And so God calls, and and, and and the call regenerates us. They're very, they're basically together there, and uh, consequently, um, we have faith. Does anyone want to try and define faith real quick? Just looking for a simple, generic.
1: It's our place
2: of our trust in God. Christ. Trust in, sorry, <laughs> jinx. Um, uh, you're fine, Chris.
0: <laughs> no, no, you're. Both. I like
2: Chris's definition better.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's placing our trust in Christ in, in God, and specifically in Jesus, right for our salvation, His work on the cross, um, John one twelve. But to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. Of course, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world, he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Now um, this faith, as we looked, we saw when we look at it. You know, it is something that we exhibit, right? We have faith in Jesus, but yet that faith does not come from us. Ultimately, um, we saw in Ephesians two. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this, not your own doing, is the gift of God. The faith that our faith itself is a gift of God. Um, yeah so by grace we trust in Jesus for our salvation and then the flip side of faith we have repentance and they they go together again but uh, anyone want to try to find repentance
3: yeah Well, repentance is that recognizing our sin and turning away from that and seeking forgiveness
0: yeah, absolutely. Um, Isaiah 55, 7 says, Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man's thoughts, then return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. It's seeing our sin and recognizing it, forsaking it, turning to God for mercy. And again, it's by grace. We saw that in Acts eleven-eighteen. 18. Uh, it says there, When they heard these things, they fell silent and they glorified God, saying, And to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Again, just over and over again, this is, it's a great God that we have who who gives us everything that we need, even the things that he demands of us. Um, And so then by faith, we grab hold of Christ, right? And we are united to him. And does anyone want to try and define union with Christ?
1: It's our being made one with Him. Um, yeah. We are joined to Him and participate in everything that He accomplished for us.
0: Yeah, we we uh, the main phrase that they use in the New Testament is being in Christ. They also talk about Christ being in us, but yeah, we are one with Him. First John four thirteen says, "By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us, because He has given us of His Spirit." And yeah, as you were saying, Chris, all. Really, pretty much everything after this but like, flows out of our union with Christ. Um, we learned a couple weeks ago about justification. Anyone want to try to find that? Anyone remember? You also might remember, Pastor Frank's mentioned in his sermon today, right? We are counted righteous. That's what the justification is. Um, By God's grace, we are declared just by the imputation of Christ's righteousness. Um, Philippians 3, uh, 8 and 9, Paul's talking about uh, the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Um, He talks about gaining Christ and being found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith, in Christ the righteousness from God that depends on faith a very well-known passage 2nd Corinthians 521 For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him We might become the righteousness of God um, in Some ways that's our first need in the gospel God takes care of that just being reconciled to God being justified counted righteousness count righteous, right? Also, we had adoption that came out of our union with Christ. Does anyone want to try to define that? Okay.
3: Well, adoption is is God giving us His His placing His name upon us, claiming us as His own, and um, we are we are in His family and yeah. have the benefits thereof.
0: Yeah. No, it's. Adoption is one of the sweetest benefits in all of uh, our uh, redemption. And that is that we get to call God Father. We are part of the family of God, right? But yeah, uh, Galatians 3 25 through 29. But now that faith has come, we're no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you're all sons of God through faith. And then at the end of that section, he says, You know, we're not Jew or Greek, but we are in, but if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise, right? Um, By faith, by union with Christ, we are adopted into the family of God. And then last week we talked about sanctification. Does anyone want to to find that?
1: It's where we are made um, more and more holy in our conduct in this life.
0: Yeah. And this is one of those transformative aspects. As uh, Pastor Franks mentioned in the sermon, and as Chris has been uh, talking about um, throughout this lesson, where it's not just that we're declared sanctified necessarily. We're perfect now. Uh, Those judicial things. No, we are. Throughout our life, you're being conformed into the image of Christ, right? Um, Romans 8 talks about that, verses 12 and 13. We are debtors not to the flesh, live according to the flesh. Because if you do that, you're going to die. But by the Spirit, you put to the death, deep death the deeds of the body, you will live. Um, and also, we looked at Philippians 2, 12 through 13, just to see, again, how this is by the grace of God. Um, we're called to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. But we read, for it is God who works in us, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Yeah. So now, finally, today, we're going to look at perseverance of the saints. Um, does anyone want to try and give a stab at defining that before we, before I give a definition? Kind of accidentally tipped my hand there. Yes, I will. I'll give the definition now. Uh, Westminster Confession of Faith, not my own definition. Westminster Confession of Faith, Chapter Seventeen, Paragraph One. They whom God hath accepted in His Beloved, that is Jesus, effectually called and sanctified by His Spirit, can neither totally nor finally fall away from the state of grace, but shall certainly persevere therein to the end and be eternally saved. Now, that's not everything that is can't be said about perseverance, but it's a good uh, short definition there. So, uh, uh, again, appreciate Pastor Frank's kind of talking about the whole judicial versus transformational aspects that, uh, as we've gone through each of these steps. Uh, this one, um, it's a little bit hard to categorize, uh, if any, you can kind of put in a transformative category, but it's really more telling us a truth about one of the transformative aspects already, sanctification, right? That we're going to continue on to the end. And also saying that, you know, we're not going to lose our status of the other things at the same time, those judicial aspects. Um, we're going to continue to be sanctified. We're going to maintain our status in this. We're going to be alive in Christ, exhibit faith and repentance throughout our lives. These things are going to continue to happen until we reach our eternal destination. Um, And at one level, this is a fairly simple concept, right? It's just those who are saved are going to continue to be saved, uh, working out their salvation, right, until they reach their eternal destination. Um, But there is some nuance to it, and uh, we're going to look at a little bit of that today. Um, Not all of it, but uh, starting with a concept uh, known as uh, kind of the security of the believer, also known as once saved, always saved, free grace, um, or easy believism is probably the term that you would best possibly know best by. Um, security of the believer, once saved, always saved, free grace are used by proponents of this view. Easy believism more by those who oppose the view. So this is the belief, if I can kind of briefly summarize it, hopefully, not unfairly, that if you profess faith in Jesus Christ, your salvation is secured for all time, uh, no matter what you do, how you live, or what anyone else does to you. So, why why would this be problematic based on our knowledge of Scripture and our salvation?
3: I mean, you're basically saying that you can do whatever you want so even if that's contrary to god i can do what i want i'm okay with that and that's directly contradictory to what we see in god's word
0: yeah um can you think of any anywhere in god's Word, just spirits where where that where he says things like that
3: i mean you could go correct me if i'm wrong you could go to the ten commandments and say any of those if you're just gonna say i'm not good i'm gonna worship other gods than him but i'm okay because i'm saved that's directly contradictory.
0: Yeah, uh, definitely. Um yeah, and then let's uh let's go ahead and look at you mentioned the Ten Commandments, that's good, but yeah, um we'll look at uh, a couple, a few of these verses, right? These sections of scripture which talk about this because it is contrary to the word of God. Uh Galatians five, nineteen through twenty-one. If you want to turn there, Galatians five, nineteen through twenty-one. And uh, when someone gets there, if they'd be willing to read
2: that. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warned you as i warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of god yeah so what do we see here about those
0: who practice these things who do the works of the flesh jealousy fits of anger
2: rivalries and so on you won't inherit the kingdom of god you won't. you're, yeah. you're not a believer
0: yeah um, now does that mean if I ever have a sight of anger that I'm not going to inherit the kingdom of God?
2: That's what it says. <laughs> I'm just kidding.
0: Do you want to elaborate or do you want me to talk?
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, go ahead.
0: Yeah. Or anyone else can jump in if they want to try and explain it. All right. Uh, no, uh, we, I mean, we learned about this last week, right, in sanctification. There's no such thing as a sinless Christian, right? Um, but uh, it, uh, if we say we have no sin, uh, we, we lie, right? But uh, as, as Chris talked about, it's, if we abide in these things, right, um, if we abide in our sin, then uh, we're, not, we're not saved. We're not being sanctified. And uh, we can see that maybe a little bit more clearly um, in the, the next chapter, Galatians 6, 6-9. Um, I'll just go on ahead and read that real quick. Galatians 6, 6-9. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one he teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the spirit... Will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Let's not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. For so, so, if someone professes faith in Christ and then sows all these works of the flesh that we just read about, they live their lives like they were addicted to all these sins, and now they're 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 still doing all these sins, going out committing them every day, not really caring. Can they rest in their profession of faith in Christ? Christ based on these passages.
2: No. No.
0: Yeah. yeah. Um, God's saying that you you have to exhibit signs that you have actually been saved, right?
2: Well, and Ben, if I could uh, mm-hmm. clarify even more, and if you're going to go here, just stop okay. me. But it, it's it's not just that we exhibit those signs. But uh, they actually, it's talking about those who um, sow according to the flesh, or those who yes. sow according to the spirit. So you know, it's not just that we try harder not to do these things or to yes. do these things. They're they're actually things that come according to our, our our true nature.
0: Yes, yes, and 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 yeah, these are that's kind of what we saw last week with the, the lesson on sanctification, right? Um, we don't do these things by ourselves. If we do try to do these things for ourselves, we're trying to uh, be justified by our works, which the scripture says we cannot do. Um, I think Revelation, uh, if you want to turn that you can, but Revelation 21 uh, verses 7 through 8. I think it kind of also gives us a little bit of a another, another piece of the puzzle a little bit. The one who conquers will have this heritage and i will be his god and he'll be my son But as for the cowardly the faithful the faithless the detestable as for the murderers the sexually immoral sorcerers idolaters and all liars a portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur which is the second death um, as christians our identity is in christ right um the thing I appreciate about this this section is that they don't say those who practice those things, but that does get across the concept. Also, it just says cowards. It identifies these people with their sins, right? And again, it's something where this is your identity rather than your identity being in Christ, right? Your identity is this is how this is how you live your life. You're defined by these sins habitually all the time. There's no sense of uh, the God working in you. Uh, making conforming you to the image of your son, but no you are completely identified by this God can grasp those bring them out of the fire uh, Call them to himself, but um, If that's how they're living their life. They have not been gripped yet by the grace of God. We can fairly confidently say um, John 15 verses 1 and 2 I am the tree vine, my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that they bear more fruit. And skipping down to verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. Again, we kind of see that concept of our identity or or where we're habitually are, where we're abiding. Yeah, sorry, where we are abiding. And uh, if it's... In Christ, right? If we're on the vine. And because we are part of the vine, uh, as uh I think Chris mentioned several lessons ago, we bear fruit because his life is in us, right? Um, because we are it flows out of that union that we have in him. But if we do not bear fruit, then we're not abiding in him. we never we never were abiding in him, really, as we'll talk to see later. So, anyways, yes, this easy believism. Uh, free grace, once saved, always saved. That is not biblical. Now, those terms, free grace, once saved, always saved, um, the security of the believer is another one. Those are biblical concepts at the same time. If we're going to see in a little bit. Um, we'll address that right now. But it's something where someone has taken a biblical concept and redefined it into this easy believism, which which is not biblical at all. I just want to be clear about that before we go on. Um, let's see so let's uh, real quick look at the other side of this, which is that uh, not only do we not abide in sin, but we have to persevere, right? Uh, Matthew chapter 10. We could turn there, Matthew 10. Can someone read verse 22?
2: And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Again, who's going to be the one who is saved
0: in this passage?
3: The one who endures to the end.
0: Yeah. It's, it's as we saw previously, It's it, you can't hear uh, eternal life if you practice those sins, right? That's your life if you're living in them. Uh, if you're defined by them instead of being found in Christ. Um, but it's not just that. It's that we have to endure to the end. Um, we see this also in Philippians chapter 3, verses 10 through 14. And we... Uh, looked at some passages some of the verses right before this earlier Uh, it says this that i may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings becoming like him in his death that by any means possible i may attain the resurrection from the dead not that i have already obtained this or am already perfect but i press on to make it my own because christ jesus has made me his own Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on to the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. This is something where Paul uses this analogy um, of just, you know, reaching or straining after something that to grasp it that we don't have. As we saw Jesus say, um, you have to endure to the end. And, and Paul says in other places, um, 1 Corinthians 9, right, that everyone has to run so that they'll receive the prize. And they have to, uh, he says, I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others I myself should be disqualified. In Hebrews 12:1, uh, after that great chapter of the heroes of the faith, he says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So God is calling to a life of discipline, to a life of endurance, um, a life of straining and pressing on. Right. And it's not just that sitting back and resting on our previous profession of faith. So then it says if you press on, right, you're going to if you endure to the end you will be saved the question becomes then can we lose our salvation right because if we don't endure to the end does that mean we lost our salvation then because we're not saved or as reformer perform christian say doesn't uh, the reform tradition say we they never had it um, and so we're going to take a little bit of time and look at that now Any questions before I go on? Okay. So we're going to look at uh, a couple passages, um, one of which should be fairly familiar. Hebrews 6, Hebrews 6, verses 4 through 6. Um, Pastor Franks just preached through this a few weeks ago. Is someone be willing to read that? mission, not a great Bible scholar or anything like that. I'm not going to try and exegete every part of this verse. Um, if you do want to look at it more in depth, you can look at what other Reformed commentators have said, or you could. I, I recommend also going back to, uh, I guess it's not on our website right now since our website's down. But uh, once it's back up, you can look at Pastor Frank's sermon on uh, May 17th. i um, know where he preached on the message for more study, but I would like to look at the first part of this, or uh, the author of Hebrews, I almost said Paul. Uh, the author of Hebrews is uh, kind of stacking term upon term here, right? Um, he says, they've once been enlightened, they've tasted the heavenly gift, shared in the Holy Spirit, tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the engaged to come. So first off, um, are, there, are there any words here that you see repeating? Wow. in this passage.
3: I mean, the word have is repeated multiple times. Is that what you're? That wasn't why I was and looking for. Yes, something... so that is true. Yeah. <laughs> just see, just I that see. concept that there's something that's happened that they've, you know anyway
1: Yeah, I no, see. I've tasted be, at least twice
0: yeah, tasted it. and it's also it looks like it's tasted the goodness of the word of God, but that tasted also refers to the powers of the age to come too the taste of the powers of the age to come so yeah, it's it's something that's that's uh, it, a concept is in there multiple times yeah no, and, and uh, when we I mean, there's in the Psalms we read, taste and see that the Lord is good, right? But in general, in the New Testament, we don't see so much this phrase being used to describe our experience of salvation overall. Right. It's a uh, it, it doesn't. I mean, usually we talk about those who are more radical things, such as uh, experience being in Christ, right, in the Holy Spirit, um. God calls us, loves us. There's all these radical terms that God that are used here, but this is something they tasted the goodness of the Word of God, right? And it seems like it could act really is referring to maybe more of an intellectual grasp of the goodness of God, right? That is in the Scriptures and the grace that is there, and the the wonderful uh, gift of eternal life that is in heaven waiting for those who trust in him and you can intellectually grasp those things and just even be moved emotionally without actually your will being changed and having new life right and actually putting your faith in god for salvation trusting in him alone and uh sorry I lost my place there the other phrase that's uh, used in there after besides tasted, so yeah, it's once been enlightened. Again, enlightenment, enlightened, that could be an intellectual knowledge thing. The other phrase that's in there is shared in the Holy Spirit, right? Now, hopefully when uh, we were going through these passages, you'll see that uh, we've been indwelt by the Holy Spirit, right? God has sent the Spirit of God within us. Um, the Spirit has worked in our hearts. The Spirit sanctifies us. None of those phrases are actually used here. Pastor Franks in his sermon mentioned, quoting uh, John MacArthur, if I'm rightly, mentioned that none of our, the normal phrases for salvation are really used in this passage. Um, in fact, these are terms which don't really pop up that much in the scriptures overall. Um, but shared in the Holy Spirit and, and the powers and the taste of the powers of the age to come, right? That can, is, can anyone think real quick? In Scripture, are there any examples of people who uh, God uses to pro- to prophesy, or who are not saved?
2: Balaam's donkey.
0: <laughs> I was looking more for Balaam, but uh, but yeah, Balaam's donkey. <laughs> no, if you go back and. Uh, Sorry, I got to collect myself now. If you go back and look at uh, uh, numbers, you'll you'll see that Balaam himself does not really ever repent. He was he was just scared that he was going to get punished, right? In that passage, he wasn't repenting of his sin so much. Um, Balaam, as far as we you know, never trusted in God. He did, he should have. Uh, we don't we don't see that in the scriptures. But yes, also Balaam's donkey uh, never did either. Um, God can use His Holy Spirit to uh, let people um, proclaim blessings, prophesy, right, um, without actually saving them, um, as Balaam does later. He he blesses Israel, um, but yet after that he he then uh, leads them into sin, as you can read in Revelation. Uh, Saul is another one, and and that one's. Arminians would probably, possibly dispute more. I'm not sure how they do that. Um, but there's um, someone who, who he prophesies, right? But yet again, he was not, he was never someone who God said, this is a man after my own heart, right? Who he loves. Right, so much. Um, but yes, uh, the, the, and we're going to see this few passages from now, but yeah, it is possible to do these works without actually the Holy Spirit regenerating us. So again, I'm not gonna try and look too much at the rest of the passage. If you wanna look more into that, uh, go ahead and look at that sermon later, websites back up more or do your own study. Second um, Peter, uh, we're gonna look at next, second Peter chapter two, verses 20 through 22. Someone would be willing to read that.
3: You said Second Peter two.
0: Two, that's correct. Verses twenty
3: through twenty-two. For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world, through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. They are again entangled in them and overcome. The last state has become worse for them than the first, for it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. Uh, what the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit, and the sow, after her, washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. Yeah.
0: So, how does this passage speak of these people? How did they escape the defilements of the world? At the beginning, how how did they escape the defilements of the world?
2: Through the knowledge of Jesus Christ.
0: Yeah, and, and again, it's we have to be careful. Uh, with some of these things because knowledge is used in different ways. You know, in James uh, chapter two, it talks about, you you know, you say, you say that God is one. That's great. The Demons believe that too. Um, You can have correct knowledge without um, actually trusting in Christ. And so this again is something where it could very well be an intellectual knowledge again. Right. And they've cleaned up their lives on the outside. Um, Maybe they were, you know, addicted to alcohol or pornography or a life of crime, even. And, you know, they've cleaned up their lives. There's an external repentance that's going, gone on, but it never again says here is that uh, they have been gripped by the gospel. And so it's it's, um, and I and I think also here we have a parallel passage, not an identical passage, but a parallel passage in uh matthew 12 verses 43 through 45. if you want to turn there you can if you do keep your uh, finger back here in second peter 2. but matthew 12 43 through 45 says when the unclean spirit has gone out of a person it passes through waterless places seeking rest but finds none then it says i will return to my house from which i came and when it comes it finds the house empty swept and put in order then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits more evil than itself and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. So also will it be with this evil generation? And uh, anyone see any parallel phrases or concepts between those two passages or, or when they heard that, they're just listening, did they recognize any parallel statements? And so again, it seems like it's someone who's they they cleaned up their life definitely, and you know people might disagree as to whether it's um, through actually putting their faith in Jesus Christ or if it's like um, or if it's just uh, cleaning it up externally. Whether the end, whether the heart has actually been changed at all, but, uh, but they say that the last state has become worse than the first when they turned again, right? With both of these things. Um, real quick, why is it that the evil spirit, after they've been kicked out, why is it that they're able to come back in after it's been swept and put in order?
3: Um, I mean, I would say it's because the Holy Spirit has never taken up residence. It's There's no there's no regeneration
0: yeah the house is empty right yeah the holy spirit we're they're not indwelt by the holy spirit and you know so i don't i don't know how different people interpret this this passage entirely but i'm sure there are different i know there are different ways i don't know all the different ways but i know there are different ways of looking at this passage as to whether they'll say they they've lost their salvation or what beforehand but yeah to me it looks like the point is the house is empty right they've not been gripped by the Holy Spirit um, and and Jesus here specifically is talking about those who should to those who should have faith in them because they have the scriptures right They're the Pharisees but they haven't and again it just seems like he's talking to the people who never have never will trusted him and we'll look at that a little bit later um, really quick we'll look at Galatians 5
1: hey um, Ben just, yeah. just before you move on, um, mm-hmm. the the um, the second Peter passage, mm-hmm. um, I just wanted to, to point out, you know, you're you're making the statement that's like there's nothing that clearly indicates that they actually were a regenerate believer. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I think it's interesting that it actually like seems to have positive indication mm-hmm. that they weren't believers. I don't know if you were going to come back to that or not, but I mean, it the, the whole thing about uh, there in verse twenty two. Uh, what uh, what the true proverb says has happened to them: the dog returns to its own vomit, and the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. And yeah. so there, it's like Peter's interpreting this as um, that this is somebody who doesn't have a changed nature. Um, they their their nature remains the same, and so even though there's an external cleaning up, they. They return to what is natural for them to do, um, and yeah. as, I mean, and I know you didn't you didn't bring this up in in Hebrew six, but I know that uh, Pastor Rick did in his sermon. It was just like uh-huh. later on in the passage where it talks about how um, where he says, you know, I'm convinced of of better things in your case, things that accompany salvation. Yeah, uh, you know, clearly indicating that the people he's talking about earlier are people who don't have salvation because. If they did, they would have the things that accompany salvation um, and, you know, wouldn't have wouldn't have rejected Christ. Um, mm-hmm. And it even has, again, another like parable, I guess you would say, where it talks about, you know, different ground and the rain falling on it. And basically, the, you know, depending on the type of ground, you're going to get different results. Yeah. So, again, it's pointing you know in both of these passages that talk about people falling away. It's pointing to like ultimately the the nature of the person is the thing that makes the difference.
0: Yes, and uh, yeah, no. It, the nature is that is a very good point.
1: Thank you. and I've like I've like listened to debates between people who yes. uh, who believe in the perseverance of the saints and people who believe you can lose your salvation, and like you know these are obviously key texts that come up, and it just amazes yes. me that the people who believe you can lose your salvation just seem to miss this stuff. Mm-hmm. And in like in public moderated debates, just refuse to address the, those issues. So, yeah.
0: no, I, I did post that with the dog inside. I forgot about, the, I guess I missed that when I was listening to the
1: sermon. Uh, <laughs> I, maybe but, it uh, was, the, maybe it was the next sermon that that came up. I can't remember, but I know it was discussed as we were yeah. going through Hebrew six. So
0: no, uh, no, thank you for bringing it up. I really appreciate that. That's, that's an excellent point but yeah with the dog and the sow I I uh, hadn't studied that enough to actually feel comfortable talking about it. but yes yeah no, that is an excellent point um, they just they're doing what they they do naturally yeah Um, I was gonna look at one more thing but I, I won't anymore uh, I but honestly, I think this it was better to hear what Chris said than to, to hear what I was going to say. So that's that's fine. Uh, but Galatians 5, if you want to look at that at some point, you can see the phrase fallen from grace, which is kind of a term that's in the English language. It's something unbelievers use sometimes. Um, but if you look there and you'll see from the, the text, the passage, its they've fallen from grace in the sense that they're trying to justify themselves by works rather than trusting in the grace of God to save them. And... Uh, if there is one thing kind of that we can rest in for our salvation, it's the fact that it's by the grace of God we are saved and not by our own works. Matthew 7, 21 through twenty four. you don't have to turn there, I'm just going to read this. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name? Do many mighty works in your name. And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Notice he does not say, I no longer know you. I, he said, I never knew you. Even though they did these works, which, uh, you know, casting out demons prophesied. Um, again, it's, it seems like there are, there are people who can do these miraculous things, that God can use to do these miraculous things, yet yeah, never be gripped by the gospel. Uh, 1 John 2.19 says this, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that might be a complaint, but they are all not of us. If I can do a quick uh, kind of logic statement with this, they're saying, it's saying in First John 2.19, B went out from A, or, or sorry, yeah, let's let's use a little bit different phrasing. Dogs went out from the assembly of the cats, Right. Because they were not cats. If they had been cats, they would have continued to be cats. I mean, that's kind. That's that's not what the scripture is saying there, obviously, right? But at the same time, logically, that's basically what's saying. If you take this this category of, of believers, right, and they says, you know, the these people who have gone out, who have who have forsaken the gospel. He's saying, they weren't ever believers. They were not ever of us. If they had been, they would have continued to be with us. Cats will continue to be cats. There's not going to change their nature. Um, And, uh, yeah. Just look, reading that statement, it reminded me of the little bit of coding. I've actually learned it. it's, It's like a loop there. A will continue to be A. This continues on and on forever. There's no change in getting out of that. Um, John Murray says this in his book, Redemption, Accomplished apply The scripture itself, therefore, leads us to the conclusion that it is possible to have a very uplifting, ennobling, reforming, and exhilarating experience of the power and truth of the gospel. To come into such close contact with the supernatural forces which are operative in God's kingdom uh, of grace that these forces produce effects in us which to human observation are hardly distinguishable and those produced by God's regenerating and sanctifying grace, and yet be not partakers of Christ and heirs of eternal life. However, uh, I don't want you to doubt your faith, just so you know. We'll be talking about assurance. I'm sure Chris will bring up a lot of these things That So in the meantime, for this next week, don't be doubting your faith, right? As long as you're not uh, abiding in sin. Um, and hopefully Chris will put your mind in these next week. But in the meantime, uh, we'll look at a little bit of biblical evidence. I'm so sorry I did not leave myself much time here. Uh, Romans chapter 8, verses 28 through 30. Um, we've gone over this passage so many times. But it says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those who meet for new, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, some of those he also glorified. That's not correct. right? No, it's uh, uh, those, those whom he justified, he also glorified. Uh, praise the Lord. And, uh, you know, John Murray says we could just rest on that one passage, but God doesn't give us one passage. He gives us several reasons to trust in him, the fact that our salvation will not be taken away. If uh, you are part of the Bible study that we were doing, uh, we were looking at the different doxologies. Um, First Thessalonians 5, 23 through 24, we see the fact that God will keep sanctifying us unto the end. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, that's a wonderful prayer right there. Definitely. can. Pray that for ourselves and for other believers, Um, and and he could have just stopped right there, and it'd be a wonderful scripture, but he doesn't. Paul goes on, he says, He who calls you is faithful, he will surely do it. Right? We can, uh, God has promised to keep sanctifying us to the end. We see this also in Philippians 1.6, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Another reason that uh, we can believe in this talking of the perseverance of the saints is uh, God keeps us in his love by his covenant faithfulness. Uh, Jeremiah 31, verse 3. If you want to turn there? We're going to look at a couple, of, you don't have to, but we're going to look at a couple different passages in Jeremiah. Jeremiah 31, 3. The Lord appeared to him from far away. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. So why, why is it that Jeremiah says, well, that the Lord says that he continues his faithfulness to us?
1: It's because of his everlasting love for us.
0: Yeah, everlasting love. So everlasting love means that I just didn't have a beginning but maybe it'll have an end, right? No, no, everlasting means it goes on into eternity, forever and ever, it never changes. Um, And therefore, he continues his faithfulness towards us. Uh, Flip over to the next chapter, Jeremiah 32, verses 39 and uh, 40. Uh, It says this, I will give them one heart one way that they may fear me forever for their own good and the good of their children after them I will make with them an everlasting covenant that I will not turn away from doing good to them and I'll put the fear of me in their hearts that they may not turn away from me we see there that God says uh, I will not turn away from doing good with them and and to to, uh, make that stronger statement He says I have Made an everlasting covenant, right and we know that God does not break his word. God's word is true. It stands forever Um, Isaiah 46 Just the book before uh, Isaiah 46 verses 3 through 4 listen to me o house of jacob all the remnant of the house of israel Who have been born by me before your birth and carried from the womb? So we see, you know, he's talking to people. He's like, "I, before your birth, I've been with you, right? I've born with you, um, carried you from the womb. Even to your old age, he says there, even to your old age, I am he, and to gray hairs, I will carry you. Throughout our life, you can see this passage. God is there carrying us. I have made, and I will bear, I will carry, and will say, God carries us. He does good to us he loves us from the beginning to the end and then uh, lastly for this point Isaiah 54 verse 10 Isaiah 54 verse 10 wonderful passage for the mountains may depart and the hills be removed but my steadfast love shall not depart from you and my covenant of peace shall not be removed says the Lord who has compassion on you um, so yes, God has promised that he'll keep sanctifying us to the end. God keeps us in his love by his covenant faithfulness. We also see that, you know, God sustains our faith. You know, for the Arminian, they believe that, you know, those who continue steadfast in their faith, they they will be saved, right? And that's what we believe too. But we just disagree on, on uh, who it is that's actually going to sustain that faith, right? By what power? That faith can be sustained. First um, 1 Peter 1.5. 1, First 1 Peter 1, 1.5. Who by God's power are being guarded through. And Peter's talking to those who he's addressed this letter to. He says, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And we see here that they're guarded by faith, right? How, how are they being guarded by through faith?
3: By God's power.
0: By God's power. Um, and if we uh, skip down to verse 9, we see what's the outcome, right? I mean, Because it says, this, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. We are sustained, our faith is sustained by God's power, obtaining the outcome, the salvation of our souls. Um, you don't have to turn there, but 2 Timothy 1.12 says, which is why I suffer as I do, but I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me, right? God guards our salvation, he strengthens our faith. Um, we looked at, uh, when we were looking at the the perseverance that God requires, that pressing on, that enduring, we looked at Hebrews 12.1. But I didn't read verse two. And I'm gonna go ahead and read them both now. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus. Now I wanna pause right here. It makes sense to look to Jesus, right? Because he's the object of her faith. And the author of Hebrews states that several times throughout his, uh, his letter. But that's not what he points to right here necessarily. He says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Jesus is uh, the one who founds our faith. But he's also the perfecter of our faith, right? Uh, as we've already seen. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And that uh, kind of leads to another point, which Pastor Franks brought up, I think it was last week. The fact that we are united to Christ and he is in heaven. Um, Hebrews 6 19 through 20. We have this as a sure, and steadfast anchor of the soul. a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, becoming a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. We can sh- be sure that we're gonna enter that holy place, right? Because we have that anchor of the soul as already there. Um, let's see here. Lastly, before we end, uh, God has promised that he will not let anything Take us away from him In John 6 uh, Verses 39 uh, 40 37 45 465 we, we see all these categories for God talking about People coming to Jesus, right? It's because God draws them God gives them to Jesus He's there. they come because they've been granted by the Father and those who believe it's another term. So for those who have faith in Jesus It says this and this is the will of him who sent me that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me But raise it up on the last day In verse 37 he says all that the father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me. I will never never cast out And he he reiterates this in kind of a parallel passage um, in John 10 um, this concept, John 10, uh, 28 through 30, he's talking about Jesus' is the shepherd of the sheep, right? And he says, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. We see in that passage that you know, no one can take them out of Jesus' hand, but then he strengthens that. Right, This is God we're talking about, the God, man, Jesus. He says, no one can take them out of my hand. But you know what? My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand also. He's greater than all. And then that's when he says, I and the Father are one. Just laying term upon term. And if you want to look at Perseverance of the Saints, you can just read Romans 8 also. But at the end of that chapter we have that great assurance for I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation and that includes our own weakness of faith right we are part of creation nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord sorry to kind of just throw all these verses at you if you if you want to uh, 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 and there's other reasons why too um, as pastor franks has been talking about the fact that we have an advocate continually before the father jesus christ the righteous Uh, all these are reasons why we can trust that god will bring us safely to completion that god will bring us as He's calling us to persevere, to work hard, to endure, to run that race, we can, we can, we we do do those things. We do not give up. But as we learned last week, it's not by our strength. God is at work within us, both to will and to work. Right. And First Thessalonians says uh, again, Now may the God of peace Himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit, and soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. As a, if you can come away with no other concept in this lesson, I hope you come away with this: our faith, you know, it may be weak. We may we may stumble, we may backslide, but we have a great God and Savior that uh, we put our faith in. We don't put our faith in our faith. We put our faith in a great God who is able to save, as we learned today, to the uttermost. So let's go to him in prayer now. Dear Heavenly Father, uh, we do thank you that uh, you are, through your Son, able to save to the uttermost those of us who are dead in our sin, We're haters of God, haters of other people, Lord, um, by by our old nature. Lord, you have you have taken us away from that, but and given us a new nature, and you are sustaining us even now, Lord. We know that if it were not for you, um, our hearts would long to go back uh, to wallow in the mire. If you were not sustaining us, but Lord. You have promised that you will sustain us to the very end, to the uttermost. You have saved us and you will carry us even down to our old age. Pray that uh, you would uh, help us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have called us, Lord, that we would do those good works that you have prepared for us from from eternity past. But, uh, Lord, we do thank you that we can ask you for help with these things, that you have never you, you do not, for those who are in Christ, you, you give us the strength that we need to do those things that you have called us to do. Lord, uh, we thank you that you are faithful and true. Amen. Thank you, Ben. Thank you.